He had a good job with that. My name is Blair. We're in a series uh, about the story of Joseph. You just heard a song where they were talking about somebody who was getting the best of you, somebody who destroyed your trust, took advantage of you, and the song is laced with all kinds of references about how you can't let that happen, how you've got to protect, how you've got to put yourself first. We're about to find that in the story of Joseph. It's about to elevate right to the top. Now, we've only got two weeks left, and I didn't know when I started this that I was going to find more and more stuff to talk about, and it's been hard to figure out because I had slated out the weeks, but I didn't care. I was going to kind of go wherever I went. And so um, the last two weeks are kind of similar in this way only. Um, I hope you're starting to understand this is not a kid's story. Like, this is incredible. This is layered. This is pretty amazing. And we're going to look at a layered thing because there are three different sections of the Joseph story that have a parallel story somewhere. Sometimes it's in the story. Sometimes it's out of the story. And the parallel is there. They have all of these connections with each other. And you have to understand both stories if you're going to understand what's going on. And that may cause you to go, well, Blair, you've already been going too fast as it is. This is crazy and reckless. Like, again, after first service, my wife pulled me aside and said, you're saying the wrong names again. Hey, I'm going fast. Just figure it out, people. Figure it out. You know what I meant to say. Just go with it, all right? It'll be okay. So if I say Joseph and I meant Pharaoh, just go, he's clueless, but I get it. I get where he's going, and I know what's happening here. We're just going to have to go fast because if I don't show you both stories, then you're going to miss the truth that was meant for you to like soak on and think about. And this stuff is serious. It's about our lives and how we live, even today. That's why I love this kind of stuff. Now, I want to give some credit to Rabbi Foreman. I have not seen anybody else in all the commentaries I read in this section of Scripture deal with these interconnections as effectively as he does. And I wouldn't be able to give this information to you without help from him, so I'm really grateful for it. Um, but let's dive in. Now, I want to go back to the song. I wrote down a line from the song that I thought was really interesting. He said, were you born to resist or be abused? As if there are really only two choices in this world. You're either somebody who's going to resist or you're a punching bag. And if you're going to get taken advantage, advantage of, you should not want that. There's a whole point of the song. You should not want that. You should stand up, resist, and fight because it's not fair when you're taken advantage of. But what do you do if you think God is the one who's taking advantage of you? You know, I've never heard anybody say those words to me directly. I think God is taking advantage of me, but I have heard. I don't understand why God hasn't answered this prayer yet. I don't understand why I'm stuck in this issue in my life that I can't seem to get by. I don't understand why God hasn't come in and taken care of it. And it's coming from this idea that you know, you know that God is this all-loving God and he's also this all-powerful God. And if he has that combination, why doesn't he step up and do something in the midst of difficult situations? Why does he seem to take advantage 
of the situation. You know, it's really easy. I've found it and I've had conversations. I think this is true. I think it's really easy for people to feel that way when they're in a pit. I probably don't even need to describe it for those of you who have been there or maybe who are in one right now. It's a place that feels like a dead end to you. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter how much struggle you, you do to get away from it, you're still trapped there. And, and you feel like there, this is hopeless. I give all kinds of effort and yet I find myself in this pit. In the story of Joseph, there are two pits. One's pretty easy to see. His brothers toss him into a pit. Uh, The scriptures use that word, uh, but there is a second pit that Joseph gets tossed into, and that's when Potiphar throws him in prison. And you might say, Blair, you're stretching it. Be careful. That's not the same thing. You're just trying to get a metaphor here. Actually, the Torah was trying really hard to make sure that you connected these stories. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This is in Genesis 41. Um, Joseph is being pulled out of the dungeon by Pharaoh. And this verse gets said. So Pharaoh, this is 14, the front part of 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. When translators translated it into dungeon, they wanted you to get the context right. That's where he's coming from. But the Hebrew word here is bore. And that word, if you go and look it up, the definition for that is pit, cistern, or well. It's the same exact word from when he was thrown into the the pit, the cistern, by his brothers. In fact, every time you see the word dungeon in this little part of the story, it's that word. There is an attempt to try to make you understand that these two stories are connected. In fact, there are so many connections, you're going to start to think that there's a parallel story going on, that maybe Joseph is getting a do-over for some mistake, some error that he made. So for us to understand what's going on, I'm going to go back and we're going to pick up the first story and we're going to put a bunch of things on the table and then we'll roll it forward into the second story, the second part of the story, and we're going to see where all of these connections are and what we can make of it. All right? So let's start in Genesis 37.2. This is before, far before he gets put in the pit. This is uh, about Joseph and his brothers. Um, At the beginning of two, there's a little line and then it says Joseph a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers that was exactly what a young man his age should have been doing when you find out later in the story that he's wearing a jacket that's a non-working jacket that's odd that's off something's wrong he would have been learning his dad's business in the field and it turns out he was He starts the story like anybody else would have. He's learning the business the hard way with his brothers. The question is, what happens? Is there anything that kind of indicates that something would have happened that would have removed him from that environment and placed him somewhere else? There is. It's at the end of verse 2. It says this, And he brought their father 
a bad report about them. There's there's a really good way to say this. His brothers were up to no good making trouble in the neighborhood. All right, there are a few of you, a few of you fresh prints got it. Okay, that's good. That's exactly what was going on, right? There were some brothers up to no good. And if they were, like if they were causing trouble, then it would be right for Joseph to go to dad out of loyalty and say, you need to know this is happening. If they keep doing this, this could cause trouble with our neighbors. This could cause problems around here. And so what we see is what looks like an act of loyalty to his dad because his brothers do not appreciate what he does here. In fact, if you read on, they develop a hate for him. And the question is, well, there could be something else at play here. Is there any way that might give us a hint that there's more going on than his brothers just doing some bad stuff and him talking about it, right? Because in our culture, what do we say? Snitches get stitches, right? I mean, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong, but we say that. It's almost like you can't do the right thing without being condemned. No, he was going to do the right thing if it's the right thing. But what? If it wasn't that simple, we're actually given a hint. This word, bad report, in the Hebrew is dibwa. It's only used nine times in the whole Tanakh, the whole Old Testament. It's only used nine times. It's a rare word. In fact, we can go and find where it gets used next, and it's going to give us a hint as to what's really going on here between him and his brothers. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses, this is after the Israelites have been in captivity. They've come out of captivity. They're standing on the edge of the promised land. God said, I want you to go take this land. And what they decide to do is they send some spies into the land. Two of them come back and say, we should take the land. I know it's scary, but God promises this. Let's go. Let's do this. Ten of them do this instead. This is in verse 32 of chapter 13. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. These ten spies were giving information to the people that was true in a way that was twisted because they didn't want to go into the land. This word could have been this word could have been interpreted slander too. They decided to use slander, a bad report. They twisted the facts because they had their own personal agenda. They didn't want to go in. And so they told the story in a way that would advantage their position. It's interesting that in this story and in Joseph's story, there's a little bit of spying and a little bit of reporting going on. Joseph saw something that was happening and decided to report it to his, his dad. But when it's used with this word, it means that somewhere along the line, Joseph decided to take that information and twist it. Twisted it to make his brothers look worse, twisted it to make himself look good. Why? Why would he possibly do that? Well, if you're paying attention in the story, what happens next? Joseph gets elevated. He's given a second jacket, which means he's going to get two portions of the dad's inheritance. 
He's given a cushy job managing stuff at home. He's not out in the field anymore. Joseph wanted power. He wanted prestige. He wanted that place next to his father. And he used a bad report, slanderous kind of information against his brothers to get it. So his brothers hate him for it. And what does Joseph do? He goes to them and tells them that they're going to bow down to him, that he's had a dream. They're going to worship him someday. I mean, he is rubbing their noses in it. He knows he did this. He knows he gave a bad report, a slanderous report, and yet he doesn't back down. Now it goes on. The story goes on. What comes of this? The brothers throw him in a pit. And in the process, verse 23, he loses his coat. It says this specifically. They stripped him of his robe. They took this by force. He doesn't have a choice. He's not cooperating in any shape or form. They're taking this from him and putting him in the pit. Now, at this point, Joseph is um, a victim. Now, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a weird thing because Joseph is also partly responsible for the mess. But I want, to, I want to draw lines really clearly here. Sometimes what happens when a situation like this unfolds is we look at the whole situation and we think, oh, you, Joseph, did this and it caused this. Joseph did something that was wrong, no doubt. But it does not justify, it does not allow for his brothers to decide to throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery. What they did was wrong, and it's apart from it. And it shouldn't be evaluated in light of, hey, victim, you should feel guilty for the whole thing. He's responsible for his error. What was his error? He decided to have fake loyalty with his dad. He decided to look good, to take care of himself, to think, you know what? If I don't put myself first, I'm not going to get what's rightfully mine. And what's rightfully mine is more of the inheritance, a different position of power. I'm going to do this. And so he told a story that looked like loyalty, but wasn't. And now he's in a pit. And I wonder what happens. I wonder how long it took after he's dragged out of this pit, after he's taken down to Egypt and sold. I wonder how long before he starts to sort this stuff through in his head and he starts to come to some conclusions. Does he decide, one, it's all my brother's fault. They did all of this. I'm not responsible. I wouldn't be here right now without that. Does he think this is all my responsibility if I wouldn't have slandered, if I wouldn't have rubbed their noses in it? Because some of us do that. There are some people that they are the wickedest to themselves that I've ever seen, terrible to themselves. And I wonder if Joseph went through some of that, or I wonder if he correctly concluded, we. We, we made a big mess. We had a big problem. And if I don't address my junk, this could be a problem for me. You, you want to know why? Because sometimes the reason we're stuck, sometimes the reason it feels like you're at a dead end and you can't get any farther, is because you have allowed 
certain kind of habits into your life that are repeating. You have allowed beliefs into your life that you keep thinking. You have allowed attitudes that keep repeating and they hold you in place. And until they are removed, you're not going any further to do anything else in God's kingdom. And God will allow you to get stuck so that he can unstuck you. Like that's the point. I, I, want, you to get, I want you to get moving. But in order for you to move, this thing in your life has to be dealt with. And so that's what happens. From 38, we dealt with the story of Judah last week. And it spills then into 39, and we pick the story of Joseph up. He's down in Egypt working in Potiphar's house. He's, he's, he's a slave, but something really good has happened to him. We're going to see that in chapter 39. Uh, let me get there. Okay, in verse 4, it says this. Joseph found favor in his eyes, this is Potiphar, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted the care of everything that he owned. This guy rose to the top. So he's, he's elevated again. He's got a position of authority. When he did it with his family, he used some underhanded tactics to get that done. But in Potiphar's house, he's earned it. So he's elevated, and he is sitting in a place that's the best place that, if you're a slave, you couldn't ask for better. If you were a slave in this world at this time, and you worked in an agricultural setting, they worked you until you died, they threw you in a pit and bought somebody else cheap. That's what they did. But Joseph, he is running a guy's household. He's making decisions. He has freedom. He has... He has everything like this. If he wanted power, he's got it now. But it gets complicated and messy because at the end of verse 6, it says this. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. I, um, lacking the ability to actually determine what a good-looking man is or not, I will leave that up to you to figure out, right? I don't know who that, who that is for you, but um, apparently good-looking guy, and it causes some problems with Mrs. Potiphar because there's about to be a clash of wills. What she wants is for Joseph to start cheating on her husband with him. Like, let's go do this on the side. We won't tell him. It'll be great. And just in case you think this isn't a hard decision for Joseph, you don't understand. This woman has the ability to make his life awful if he doesn't cooperate. You know what he could do? He could pretend to be loyal to Potiphar, go sleep with his wife, and to his face act like everything is okay because he's done it before. That's the pattern that he's had in his life. He can fake it. He can pretend. Or if he says no to this woman and he decides to be truly loyal, she could make his life miserable. He could lose the very power, status, 
freedom that he has wanted. What does he do? How does he make that choice? Verse 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He loses a cloak again. But this time, do you see the difference? It's not forced off of him. He willingly, cooperatingly gives up his place, his position. Why? Because you are seeing a transformation in Joseph who is now making a decision out of true and pure loyalty. I'm going to do the right thing even if it costs me. Now I want you to see this. I want you to see this just so we're clear on what's happening here. Two stories, this is what they have in common. Both of them, he's elevated. In both of them, there's a bad report. In one of the bad reports, he gives it. In one of the bad reports, it's given against him, and he gets to feel how that is. It's not great. They both, in both stories, he loses a jacket. In both stories, he ends up in a pit. Why? Because she goes and tells Potiphar, Look at this jacket. This Hebrew slave that you brought to me was trying to make sport of me. And he believes her, believes this lie, and sends him to a dungeon. He's in the pit. Every time, it's pit. Both of them are about loyalty, whether it's tainted or whether it's true. And what you have here, there are some differences, by the way. One, his jacket was taken in this case he gives it up freely. The other one, he was a victim who, who kind of added to the circumstances. He piled on to it. But in this case, because he chose what to do what was right, he's not carrying a sense of guilt as he gets put in the next dungeon. In fact, just so you understand, he says something very directly about that. In chapter 40, verse 15, He's talking to the cupbearer about his situation in Egypt, and he says this, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon, in a pit. Like, I'm innocent. I, I didn't carry this. You know what's odd? The only way for Joseph to be loyal in that moment was to leave his jacket in the hands of a person who could spin it into a lie, and it was his only way of being loyal was to appear to be disloyal. And this time, Joseph made the right choice. There, there's a repetition of what are you going to do about loyalty. Now here's what's interesting and frustrating. Story one. There's two paths to choose. And Joseph chooses the path that's all about him. I'm going to take path A. I'm going to elevate me. I'm going to take care of myself. Nobody else will. Nobody's going to get the best of me. I'm going to take care of this. He uses a bad report. He elevates himself. But God cannot use that heart. And so he finds himself repeating it again because that was, 
That was in his heart. It was who he was, and God needed to have him grow past that. And the second time around, he's confronted with, will I truly be loyal, or will I elevate myself? Will I find a sneaky way to get my motives in here that color this? And he makes the right choice, and he ends up in a pit. Which raises the question, right? What's the point? of doing the right thing if you end up in the same place both times. Have you ever felt that way? I have. I felt like I was making a choice that was right, but it didn't bring calmness. Brought everything but. Have you ever felt that way at your job? You made a choice at work that you knew would be honoring to God and it caused turbulence for you and maybe it still does. Have you ever felt that way in a relationship, a friendship where you tried to do the right thing and it was misunderstood, it was misinterpreted, and you're caught under the weight of that. Have you ever wrestled with a, a thought or a belief that you've had for a long period of time? And you thought, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to do the right thing. And it didn't matter. It didn't seem to matter how much you wrestled and struggled with that. It keeps haunting you. And there is something about that process that doesn't sit well. For paying close attention to the text, one of the things that could be valuable for you to do, because sometimes, not all, sometimes what's happening is you've got a mixed up motive, a mixed up belief, a mixed up attitude that has found its way into your life and grown into a pattern. And until you find a way to recognize that, you're not going to get past it. And it's going to keep repeating the story. And you're going to look around and blame everybody except the person who's holding that thing in their heart. But what happens? What happens? Because sometimes, not always, but sometimes you've made the right choice for the right motive and the right reason. You've, you've done what you knew would honor God and you're still in a pit where it feels like you're not getting any traction, things aren't going any better, this is not going my way. We have a real problem with that in our culture because our assumption is if I've done the right thing, God will show up and reward me. And if he doesn't reward me, then something's wrong with God or the system. But what if there's not something wrong with God or the system? What if there was something else going on in both pits that might be going on in your life too? See, if you, if you pay real close attention, it appears that in both of these places where Joseph ends up in a in a place that he cannot solve on his own, 
in a place that feels like a dead end, that feels like a weight that has trapped his freedom and messed up his life, in both of those places, God is present with Joseph. God showed up in the first pit and changed Joseph's heart, brought about a heart of repentance so that the next time he had an opportunity to face this moment of loyalty, he would get it right. And he does. But then he goes back in the pit. What could be a conscience? God was present with him in the next pit too. Why? Because God was trying to grow some resilience. He was trying to grow some courage. He was trying to grow some humility in his life. Why? Because God wasn't done with Joseph's story. And he needed those things grown in him. And the only way to do that was in his presence. And God had his full attention while he was in that pit. And you know why it was so important? It actually says so in the story. So I read to you where Joseph is eventually pulled out of the pit by Pharaoh. He's standing in Pharaoh's court. If there is ever a place where he could finally get what he thought he had coming to him, I can finally get the power that I want. I can finally get the position, the respect that I'm due. It's in Pharaoh's court. That guy gives out power. That guy has wealth. And he's, if he positions himself right, if he says the right thing, it's his to be had. And he does something different than that. This is what Joseph actually says, instead of taking credit for being able to interpret the dreams that Pharaoh has. He says this, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Wow. See, transformation, full transformation had taken place in the heart of Joseph because he had been present with God to know that this is the person I trust. Not this guy who could offer me all wealth. Not this guy who could give me power. Not this guy who could do all of this stuff for me. So instead of playing to that, he tells him the truth. It's not me, it's God. I actually think it's one of the reasons Pharaoh elevates him in, the, in his court. Pharaoh's court would have been full of all kinds of people who wanted to use Pharaoh. And he had to know this. He had to know people were trying to use his power, use his wealth, use their friendship with him to get what they wanted. This guy is standing here with an opportunity to do that, and he points his success elsewhere. Incredible. Joseph's time in the pit had yielded some results. I don't know if you're in a pit right now. I suspect that times in your life you have been. But I don't know what you're struggling against. I don't know what you, if you feel like you're hopeless or at a dead end or, and I, and I also don't know. I don't know if there's a motive or an attitude or a belief that needs readjusted in your heart. I don't know if God needs to do something like that with you. I don't know if you've chosen to do the right thing 
and you're just, you're just in a pit, even though you've done the right thing. But here's the one thing I'm sure of. I'm, I'm just crystal clear on. God is present for you right now. He has been. He will be. He wants to be a part of rewriting your story. He wants to be at the center of the healing. He, he wants to be the one who carries you, who you rely on, who you get courage from, who you find resilience in. This is who God is. And if you're struggling through and you're like, man, I'd like that to be the case, but I, I just don't know. I don't know if I can even find God's presence in my moment right now, then I want to give you some things to consider. Uh, band, if you're uh, nearby, I'd like you to take the stage if you would. I want to just give you three things that you ought to consider doing. Um, one, slow down. Slow down. The pace of life we keep with the devices that we have keep us so distracted that a God who is present sometimes can't even get through to tell you he's available for you. And sometimes what happens when we get in a pit, we conclude that if I go faster, if I go harder, if I do more, if I work, I can overcome this. And the pace of your life prevents you from hearing God. Joseph had a cheat. He, he was in jail. I don't highly recommend that as an option. Don't go out and do that to find your silence, right? Do something else, but find a way to allow God's presence to be seen in your life. Second, maybe find some scripture that you can memorize that tells you what's true. God is present for you. He's available. He's a helper in a time of trouble. And repeat it over and over and over so you know what's true. So in your heart, you are looking at what's true, which allows you to start paying attention to what's happening in your life, and you will see the presence of God. I know that because he's there. I would also give you this last one. Start working some spiritual muscles. I don't know how many people that I've talked to when they get into a pit, they stop praying. No, don't stop then. Connect then. Like, be disciplined to do it. Talk with God about what's going on in your heart and life. Find his presence. He's trying to rewrite your story. I don't know if he's trying to reshape an attitude, a belief, or a motive. I don't know if he's just trying to get you courageous. You don't know that. If you've stopped trying to connect, start reading the scriptures again. I, people give up on that. I've been reading, and I'm not finding. You've got to stay at it because he's present. Go serve. Go do something. Do something that's outside of your kingdom being the most valuable. Put God's first, and you'll be surprised to find that ever-present help in time of trouble is right there for you. Here's what I know. God loved Joseph enough to enter into that redo moment where he had failed and to walk him through that onto a different path. And it might not have felt different, but Joseph had a different connection with God at the end of that. 
And I'm telling you right now, that same God wants to do the same thing with your story today, right here, right now. So if you're in the pit, lean into that reckless God. Don't believe the lie that God's trying to take advantage of you, that he's trying to get the best of you. God is trying to make the best with you. He's going to use your life to do that. Don't give up just because you're in a pit. Why don't you stand and worship as we sing about that loving God who pursues us?